looking at the intro. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thin in numbers and so interesting. I, just, I couldn't help but overhear your comment just then, sir, about people just want the messages. Do you know what? There is so. I'm not talking at you and I'm not disparaging for you because I understand that sentiment very much. Spiritualism has got so much to offer. There is so much. And a very warm welcome to our friends watching us online tonight. Unfortunately, we have degraded into just the message. Come along, oh, I had a lovely afternoon. I'm not knocking that, that has its place. But there is so much more that we can learn. Not only, we don't talk to the dead. The dead talk to us to get us to live this life, to get the best out of this life. So it's nice, <coughs> nights like this, where we can have wonderful guests. Sorry about tonight. <laughs> wonderful. Thanks for that. Wonderful guests. We've got a wealth of information to share with us. Very interactive evenings. Please ask questions. All right. Always, always, always say to you're so bored of hearing it. No question is dark. If you hear something you don't understand, ask. That's the only way we find out. Great delight to welcome a wonder. I don't have favourite mediums. Um, <laughs> David has got so much knowledge and he's got so much passion for what he does. And that really shines through. So tonight we are talking about spiritual healing. I'm going to leave you in the very capable hands of David Powell. Those of you watching us online at home, if you have any questions, please pop them in the comments box. Those of you in the church, just for your comfort and understanding, people at home can only see the platform, they cannot see you. All right, so if you're in here with somebody you shouldn't be in here with, your secret is safe. <laughs> <laughs> have a wonderful evening, Brilliant. David. Thank you, Laurie. Well, good evening, friends. It is an uh, absolute pleasure, as always, and a joy uh, to be with you here this evening. And to have this opportunity, uh, as Laurie said, to basically enter into a, a, a discussion. Uh, there'll be opportunities to ask questions and I'll certainly welcome uh, questions. I don't profess to know uh, all the answers, but then that's part of this experience. It's about us uh, each finding our own truth, our own understanding, and then living that to the... Uh, best of our ability. For those of you who perhaps uh, don't know me or don't know of my background, I'll give you just a two-minute kind of nutshell uh, history, but I'm not going to kind of dwell on that and we'll, we'll get into the uh, healing stuff. So I've been a platform medium for about the last 14 or so years, serving churches throughout uh, Hampshire, Dorset and the Isle of Wight. But before then, uh, back to about 2005, uh, I started my journey into all of this as a healer. And I've been an approved healing medium with the Spiritualist National Union. Went on to get my CSNU award in healing. Was a deputy uh, leader in a healing group, church-based healing group. 
and then more recently uh, I uh, was the healing representative on what was the Southern District Council of the SNU and that was essentially uh, overseeing the training, the development and the assessment of trainee healers. So that's kind of my background uh, in healing um, but I've also been on my own sort of personal healing journey which I'll talk about uh, again in nutshell kind of form uh, a little bit later. But I'd like to just start off the talk by uh, touching on another uh, area of passion for me and um, that is photography and for those of you who may know me I, I love uh, photography I love getting out there in nature uh, and taking pictures and I'd just like to start by um, introducing you to um, to my camera you're probably thinking what on earth is he going on about <laughs> this is about spiritual healing not about uh, photography and cameras this is the um, owner's manual that you get when you buy the camera uh, from Nikon and the one I've got is a, a D500 and you can probably see by the kind of dimensions of this book it's about 600 pages long and it's um, fairly small print with lots of charts and diagrams and um, obviously if you want to operate the camera um, that's what you need to kind of study and to digest. But if you want to really move beyond just the understanding of what all the buttons are, you then kind of might progress to something like this, which is uh, a book called Mastering the Nikon D500. And again, as you can see by the size, um, there's some 700 odd pages with uh, diagrams, photographs, charts and all sorts. So between the two books, and there's other ones you could buy, I'm not doing a sales pitch by the way for Amazon <laughs> or anything else, but um, there are other books you could buy. But on approximately, there's a thousand pages there of information on how to operate this camera. What button to press if you want it to do this, what not to press if you don't want it to do something else. A thousand pages of information with photographs, charts and all sorts of other information. But at the end of the day, it is just a camera. It is just a camera that takes pictures. It can't uh, breathe. It hasn't got a heart. It hasn't got the capacity to imagine. It doesn't have memory other than a little memory card that's written digitally. It doesn't eat, it doesn't do any number of things that you do, each and every one of us do, day in and day out. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and for however many years that we might live. So the question I'd like to put to you right here and now to begin with is, where is your manual? Have you ever read your operating manual on how to operate what is arguably the most complex, the most advanced creation in all of known creation? There is nothing more complex, more uh, advanced than your body, interwoven 
with its consciousness. If there's a thousand pages there for just a camera, can you begin to start to imagine how many pages of information you might need on a manual on how to operate um, the human body? Or begin to appreciate the intelligence behind the creation of you as a human being. You know, we're not talking about a thousand pages, we're not talking about hundreds of thousands of pages, are we? And what is this thing that you have as a human body? We take so much of it for granted, do we not? Because if I had a, um, an apple right here and now, and if I ate that apple, what happens? Well, what happens is that without any conscious volition on my part, my body converts an apple into whether it is blood cells, muscle cells, bone, tissue, hair, whatever. It does that without me having to give any kind of conscious direction. If it becomes too hot in here, my body, without any need on my part to think about it, will adjust, will start mechanisms that will help cool the body. If I drew out a knife now, and if I pulled a knife across my finger, please nobody faints, I'm not going to do this, I'm just <laughs> saying. But if I did, providing I didn't go too deep and too hard, well, what would happen? What would happen is that within a few minutes, without again me having to give any direction, the blood would start to clot. Clotting agents would be released into the bloodstream that would start to heal that wound. And before you know it, within a matter of days, you could look at my finger and you wouldn't even know there'd been a cut there. That the bodily intelligence, which is part and parcel of this thing that we call a human body, would heal itself. When we begin to look at this thing called a human body uh, with that degree of appreciation, that degree of wonder and that degree of awe, we perhaps might see to the extent to which we take this thing for granted. It is a miracle of creation. There is absolutely no doubt about that. And yet largely, what do we do with this miracle of creation? Do we nurture it? Do we honour it? Do we, I say, worship it? And I don't mean, you know, selfies and all that kind of stuff. By and large, we don't, do we? We kind of tend to abuse this thing, this miracle of creation. How do we abuse it? We abuse it by putting things, consuming things that um, are not good for us. Red wine, <laughs> malt whiskey, put my hand up. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and any other number of uh, pleasures, foods that we know aren't good for us, we kind of consume this, we don't exercise to the degree that we do. And then there comes that point in time when the body kind of um, gives us a bit of a kick and it says, hang on a minute, we've gone kind of too far. 
and we moved. We've been on a little bit of a journey without realizing it. We've journeyed from the place of being um, in a state of wellness, in a state of wholeness, in a state of harmony, into a state of disharmony. And the suggestion that I'd like to put to you um, is that there are exceptions, of course, but by and large, leaving aside infections, leaving aside any um, hereditary conditions, most of disease arises purely and simply from that, from dis-ease, from a lack of harmony within the body. And that lack of harmony within the body manifests itself then in um, physical disease. So you might be asking that question, well, why? How, how do I move from this um, state of wellness into a state of uh, disharmony? Because one thing we do know for sure is that the natural condition of the body, what that intelligence is working for, is what we call homeostasis, is for a natural steady state. That's our natural state of being, to be in harmony. But we all know, if you had to kind of plot on a scale right here and now, whether you want to talk about today, whether you want to talk about the last week, or the last month, the last year, or the last 10 years, if you had to put a point, a marker on the scale of where you feel you've been in terms of harmony within your body, within your mind, I believe most people would have a struggle getting up towards the top end of the scale. And then, as I say, we become surprised when we um, experience an episode of ill health. I can speak from my own personal experience um, as, uh, as a healer, and as I mentioned before, having been on my own uh, kind of healing journey, as it were. At the age of um, 53, uh, I had a heart attack, uh, completely out of the blue, one Sunday morning, sat in bed having a cup of tea, and thought, oh, I don't feel so good. Uh, and within half an hour, an ambulance crew were there wheeling me off to hospital, completely out of the blue, never smoked, never been overweight, uh, been fit and active, completely caught me kind of by surprise. I then spent six weeks in hospital whilst they were working out what was going on with me because it was apparent to them that there was more than just a heart attack. I had shadows on my lungs which they didn't know what were. Um, and to cut a long story short, um, in the early part of the new year in 2014, they diagnosed me with an incurable underlying autoimmune disorder. And they say the autoimmune disorder had most likely triggered the heart attack. So they don't know what causes this condition, is what they were telling me. Um, they knew how to treat it, which was very fortunate, because until the advent of uh, steroid medication, um, your sort of survival time with this condition without treatment was about eight months. Um, so I was very pleased. Um, that they had the right kind of medication to be able to, to treat, treat it. 
But what this um, experience kind of brought to my understanding and my awareness, uh, if I was true to my own understanding, if I was true to my own philosophy, I could see within the pattern of my thoughts the seeds for not only the autoimmune condition, but also why I would have had a heart attack. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying to you that at any point in my history, I kind of sat down and consciously thought, do you know what, I would be up for a heart attack, or I would be up for an autoimmune disease. Nobody does, nobody sits down and thinks to themselves, I wouldn't mind having this, I wouldn't mind having that. But if we go back to the analogy of um, the, the, the manuals, we are gifted with these miracles of creation. We don't really have the first idea from a knowledge base on how to navigate through life with this body. We learn very much by trial and error. We all went to school, we've all been through some level of education. But that education, largely, if you think about it, was an accumulation of knowledge, was an accumulation of facts. Um, you know, we know what happened in the history in whatever particular time. We might have learned to speak a language. But did anybody actually sit down and, and say to you, um, this is how to use the mind? This is the consequences. If you use your mind, if you entertain a certain pattern of thought, this is what's likely uh, to happen. Nobody told me that, and I'm sure my experience is not um, unique. No one has told us how to effectively operate this most incredible and wonderful thing called a human body. And we've learned by trial and error. And my error, uh, as I look back, was to have fallen into a pattern of thought and a pattern of being where I was essentially, in my own mind, at war with myself. Lo and behold, what did I then manifest within my body? A condition which mirrored largely my pattern of thought. Being at war with myself, my immune system, that very thing which is designed to protect us, was basically on the offensive within my own body. So, if we can use another analogy, if we can liken our mind to a little bit like a computer, and we all know to make an input into a computer, we have a keyboard. And the computer doesn't really care. If you want to put your finger on the letter K and keep it there, it will faithfully reproduce the letter K continuously. It doesn't care or M, or N, or R, or S, or whatever. It doesn't matter. And I believe in my experience, our mind is largely like that. It's our faithful servant in the, in the sense that if we want to entertain and hold a particular pattern of thought, um, it will serve us. We will continue to hold that thought. But just in the same way as if we keep our finger on letter K on the keyboard and that faithfully reproduces K, 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 K and so on and such forth. 
if we continue to hold a pattern of thought within our mind, that will too faithfully be manifested. Now I know at this point I may have started to lose some of you because some of you may be thinking, well, thoughts are thoughts. Thoughts are those things that kind of spontaneously arise in my mind. Um, as long as they're in my mind, they're not going anywhere, they don't have power, they don't have energy, they don't have potential. And what I would like to say to you is that uh, nothing could be further from the truth. That thoughts um, are energy, have power, have potential. And we can illustrate this very, very simply, very, very um, easily. Um, I appreciate what Lawrence said about the camera facing this way and not that way, but is anybody brave enough to, uh, to acknowledge here that they blush easily? Does anybody blush? Yeah? Could, could I pick on you? Is that all right? <laughs> yeah? All right. If I was to come down to you now and get on bended knee and profess my undying love for you, and say I would drink your bath water daily, I would do anything to be at your command, and it would be my pleasure to serve your whatever your whim. Is there a start of a blush going? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Please so let, note, he didn't mean that, all right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just an experiment, okay. So you're happy to, con to, to sort of concede that you've blushed? Yes. Yeah, we won't kind of pull you up on platform to prove no, the point, but I yeah. I wish you'd said that to Ted. All right, but thank you. <laughs> Let's just analyse what's just happened there in, in that moment. I've expressed um, a, a few thoughts, and those thoughts have been clothed in the form of words. And within a matter of milliseconds, um, sorry, we forgot your name again. Sue. Sue, Sue's mind has converted those sounds that I made, those words, has given meaning and interpretation to them, and that interpretation has led to her bloodstream being flooded with neurotransmitters, which have gone to the small capillaries in her cheeks and caused them to dilate, causing that reddening and that flush. So just a few thoughts expressed in that way and I've changed the physiology of Sue's body. Now if you do any kind of research into um, uh, neurosciences and what have you, I've uh, seen it said that neuroscientists will say that on average we have between 60 and 80,000 thoughts a day. 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. So if I've changed Sue's um, physiology by just expressing three or four thoughts and I've caused that change in her body, let's just say Sue is holding on to a pattern of thought that she's repeating maybe 20,000 times a day, unconsciously, unknowingly, and is repeating that over the course of, say, five or ten years. Now, if I've been able to cause dilation in the capillaries in Sue's cheeks. Is it possible that an alternative line of thought could cause a restriction in blood, blood vessels? 
doesn't seem that much of a stretch, does it? So can we begin to see the power and the potential of our thoughts? There's also been um, studies uh, done looking at the uh, power of thought directed in the way of prayer. Uh, and one particular uh, case study came to mind. There were a group of patients in Japan who'd um, all had uh, heart attack and cardiology issues. And they were divided into two groups. They weren't told this, but they were divided into two groups. And a prayer group in America were assigned one group and they um, sent absent healing prayers for, for this group of um, patients. But the other group didn't know, weren't told, weren't prayed for. They then did long-term studies on the outcomes of the two groups of patients. And I know you're already ahead of the curve. You know what the outcome was, won't you? That the group of patients who were prayed for all had better outcomes than the ones who weren't. So we can see the power and the potential um, that thought has when it's directed uh, with an intention, uh, whether that be positive or whether that be negative. Clearly in this instance, it was for a, a, you know, a, a positive um, outcome. And at this particular point, we can think um, very clearly about the, uh, you know, within uh, SNU spiritualism, we talk about the, the fifth principle, personal responsibility. When we start to actually unpick what personal responsibility means, the consequences and the implications of that are hugely profound. We think about personal responsibility first and foremost to ourself. To, to what degree do, am I prepared to acknowledge that I am personally responsible for my state of being? Because the tendency is it not to say, well, if only they wouldn't do this, if only that was like that, if only this could be different, then I'd be okay. But that then is kind of shifting responsibility, isn't it? That's then expecting the world and everybody else out there to conform to how we want, how we need things to be, to be okay. You've probably already worked out that the, it, the world doesn't work that way, <laughs> which is why so many of us are having such a tough time of life because we've held on to this belief that if only this would be like that, I'd be okay. But the, the, the true pathway to understanding and to be free from that is to come into that realisation that the responsibility for being okay is with us first and foremost and in truth, only with us. That's the challenge, that's the opportunity that um, this life um, is affording us. So, um, what I'd like to sort of suggest to you is that uh, healing is a return to harmony, is a return to balance. That is our natural state of being. But we inadvertently 
through uh, misunderstanding, through ignorance, through misdirection, unconsciously use our mind in ways which don't serve us well. And that then uh, becomes manifest, uh, may become manifest as disease, as disharmony um, within the body. And when that presents itself, our natural response is to want to restore ourselves back to healing, uh, back to harmony, back to a state of balance, which is where, where healing uh, comes in. And uh, you'll know within spiritualism there has been um, a, a long, vast history of spiritual healing uh, within um, spiritualism. Uh, some of the uh, recent greats, uh, Harry Edwards, you know, probably one of the most uh, known and regarded spiritual healers within spiritualism. If you haven't read uh, about him and his work, then you know, I encourage you to go off and do so. It is incredible. And within spiritualism and within spiritual uh, healing, what we understand is that that is happening is that there is a, um, a transference, if you like, of energy from the spirit world through the healer to the patient. Uh, from spirit, through spirit, to spirit. And uh, I'm sure probably most of you have experienced healing or are healers yourself, um, and it is usually done through uh, what we call contact healing, placement of hands, um, typically on the um, shoulders um, on the back and the uh, healer uh, is an instrument for that power in the same way as a platform medium is an instrument for that power and it is simply just um, a different application if you like of, of um, that intelligence that power I would like to take that model a little bit further and suggest that um, yes there may well be that transference of energy um, as has been described but there is also at work this intelligence within the body that we've already identified that we've already um, discussed and in my model in my way of understanding um, that isn't passive. It may be in a state where it's depleted. It may be in a state where it, it is out of balance and it's not firing, as it were, on all four cylinders. And perhaps um, the act of healing, notwithstanding what may be taking place on a, on a spiritual level, but the act of healing, the intervention of a healer, is in some way a catalyst, is a primer, is... Uh, refocusing, re-energizing, re-centering um, that person's capacity to heal themselves. Because we've already established, we've already uh, proven, I hope, that this body knows how to look after itself, knows how to heal itself. So, that being the case, how do we uh, how, how, how do we help ourselves, as it were, 
to, to heal, to be healed? Well, first and foremost, um, I would suggest that we need to develop a degree of mindfulness. We need to develop a degree of awareness of our pattern of thought. We need to be aware um, sufficiently that uh, when we start to go down a pattern of thought which we've already identified isn't helpful, isn't serving us, that we have sufficient awareness to kind of pull ourselves up and say, I'm not going there, I'm not going down that pattern of thought, and to stop and to go in a different direction. And in the degree to which we're able to do that, we then start to sow seeds um, for what we want as opposed to what we don't want. And that lesson was brought home um, very evident, evidently uh, to me within my own personal uh, healing journey. As I said, when I was diagnosed with this condition, I was told it, it, I, it was incurable, um, that there'd be support groups available if I wanted to join them. This was the medication regime and all the rest of it. And whether I was kind of encouraged and inspired by spirit, I don't know. But my first decision was I wasn't going to be involved in any support group. Because to me, in my way of thinking, and we're all different, so I'm not prescribing this as a one solution fits everybody, that identifying with the very thing that I didn't want to have would not be helpful to me. I've never read the information leaflet they give you with all the medication because I didn't want to admit into my mind the very things that I didn't want to have. I've always regarded the medication that they gave me on the same kind of terms of I was having Smarties, you know, sweets. <laughs> um, I didn't invest my belief in them as being something which was going to be harmful or damaging to me. And I even went as far as holding the belief that I'd been misdiagnosed, that somewhere along the line that this could not be happening to me, that must have got my notes mixed up with somebody else. So in my mind, I did not have the condition that they told me that I did have. Now you might call that denial, I don't know. But whatever it was, um, it worked. In the sense that for uh, six or seven years, yes, I had to have immunosuppressants and steroid drugs and all manner of other stuff, chemotherapy. But two years ago, just over two years ago now, stopped all medication. I got to a point where my body was back into a state of full harmony. And all the blood tests, all the results were showing that um, there was no active uh, signs of any disease. They couldn't explain it. They said, you're atypical. We'd like to know how it is that you are now in this, you know, um, condition free from all of this. What have you been doing? And I thought at that moment, do I tell them? <laughs> and I thought, yes, of course I am. So I talked to them about the power of visualization. I talked about um, being conscious of the thoughts that I held. I talked about self-healing practices. I talked about affirmation. 
and you could just see the kind of you know glazed look come over the consultant's face and they said oh so it's all mind over matter is it and i said exactly and he kind of moved on to the next point on his bullet list of things to talk about <laughs> um but i've proven to myself that uh mind over matter is exactly what it is that our mind first and foremost is our best friend or our worst enemy that as I said leaving aside cases of uh, infection and conditions which we you know may have uh, inherited by and large disease results essentially from wrong thinking not intentionally but through misunderstanding and through falling into a pattern of thought that will then um, quite naturally uh, manifest itself uh, within the body. And I am now in the condition that I am because I've consciously changed my thoughts. I had that realization that if I manifested that condition within my body through the pattern of thoughts that I held, if I had that power to manifest it, I also had the power to demanifest it. And that's what um, my personal journey um, has been about. About learning to be conscious um, of the mind. Realising what pattern of thoughts are helpful and which ones are not. And having that awareness to stop ourselves we're creatures of habit we fall into these habits so easily but to kind of stop yourself at an early point and quite literally say i'm not going there and redirect the mind to another direction which you know uh, is going to be um, helpful and um, productive so um, that has been my kind of personal uh, journey. I, I spoke before about um, how can we help ourselves uh, with healing. I've shared with you my personal journey because there may be elements of that that you can think, well, actually, yeah, I could kind of import that into my own journey. Um, it's for each and every one of us individually to find and to forge, as it were, our own pathway. But uh, you probably don't need me to, to tell you, but uh, spiritual healing will help. Um, I say that as a healer and have, have been a, a patient also. Um, there's no doubt um, about that. Um, absent healing, sending prayers will also help. But also being in nature, going for a walk in the forest, going down to the beach, there's any number of studies which have demonstrated the healing um, potential and the benefits that can be derived from simply being in nature. Our blood pressure lowers, um, the well-being hormones start flooding the body, we get exercise. So being in nature, exercise, diet, <laughs> Uh, dare I say, and I'm not talking about, you know, just eating, you know, rabbit food, but just exercising portion control, all things, you know, in moderation. Um, we know about the power of meditation. 
again in terms of the beneficial impact that will have um, on the body on things like yoga um, there are any number of modes of healing out there available to us but as I said before it comes down to us as the individual to want to access um, those means those uh, avenues of support and it's a bit like uh, you know if someone said to you um, you've got to lose weight you've got to lose weight you've got to lose half a stone they can give you all the information in the world about all the health benefits of what losing half a stone would do they can give you diet plans they can give you whatever to help you to do that but you will only lose half a stone if that's what your target is if you want to lose half a stone nobody can make you lose a, you know half a stone and one thing i did um, notice when i was practicing um, hands-on healing on a regular basis is that people can become invested in their illness people can become attached to and it becomes part of them because it's meeting a need in some way shape or form and going to a healer week in week out year in year out to be healed isn't going to work in my book in my experience unless there is first and foremost a desire uh, decision and wanting on the part of the individual to be healed themselves and to take responsibility for themselves otherwise it can be a bit like just going to the you know the cabinet and getting a stick and plaster it kind of covers things up for a while but if they're still holding that destructive pattern of thought then no amount of sticky plasters or tablets or pats on the back or hugs or whatever is going to make us better so um, that's the opportunity that's before us and it comes down to a fundamental choice that we have at the beginning of each and every day and that fundamental choice is do I want to be happy do I want to be happy today and you can choose consciously when you wake up in the morning I'm going to be happy today and your pattern of thought and your interactions with yourself and other people can be driven on that line I'm choosing to be happy in my interaction and in that way you begin to sow the seeds of uh, well-being within yourself in your interactions into your relationships with friends with other people but it all starts with that very very simple question do you want to be happy and only you can answer that if you want to be happy wonderful if you choose not to be that's your choice um, but if we go back to personal responsibility if we're not choosing to be happy and to be healthy and to be whole then we've got to be okay to accept all that comes with that.
but I don't believe that uh, we are fundamentally wanting not to be healthy, not to be happy, because that is our natural state. That is what we are born into in these uh, physical uh, uh, bodies. That's our natural state. That's what our body is working to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Does it not fall on us as the master, as it were, of this being to align our thoughts in such a way as that this creation, this miracle of creation, has all and every opportunity it has through the wonder and the mystery of this earthly life to fulfil itself to its greatest potential. So on that point, I'm going to stop because I've rabbited on for a long time <laughs> and I did say there'd be an opportunity for discussion and uh, questions. Um, I should say, if you're expecting me to talk for half an hour about where to put your hands on patients and where not to put your hands, I'm sorry if you were uh, expecting that and have been disappointed, but um, uh, I took the brief to be a talk about healing yeah. um, in its widest kind of um, form. So um, I trust that has given you some food for thought, has maybe provoked you in some way, because if it has, um, then I'll go home tonight feeling um, it's kind of a job well done. Um, but if you haven't been provoked and if you don't have any questions, what's going to happen is I'm going to sit down here now and I'm going to ask each one of you a question. Because <laughs> I've got more questions now than what I had when I first came into all this 25 <clears throat> odd years ago. So uh, opening up the floor to any, any questions. Yeah, Sue. Um, when we're talking about uh, the energies, and, and if we're going back to some of the experiments that were done on water, where they were, <coughs> the water was spoken to in a derogatory sense, yep. or, or sung to, or whatever, in a beautiful way, and yep. the patterns of the ice water. So if a child's growing up and there's all the negative energy around that, that has to be dissolved as well, and but sometimes the programming and stuff that goes into children, we don't realise that we're doing it because it's just come down the generations. The programmes are in there sometimes and the person doesn't actually know they're there. How do you get to the root of that? Is it, is it something that becomes a revelation when the person's ill? They do work on themselves? I, I, uh, I totally agree with the, the point there, Sue. I went through largely the first 40 years of my life, despite growing up in a spiritualist family, I went through the first 40 years of my life oblivious, in blissful ignorance to any concept of thought being anything other than this thing that kind of rattled around inside my head. Uh, and... Uh, it was, uh, in my instance, it, it took the, I think it was the passing of my own father that was like a turning point from having had a very passive understanding about spiritualism and mediumship. That seemed to be a turning point to go and explore. And life does seem to have a way. Most of the people I know, I associate with uh, through my mediumship and spiritualism, if you talk to them, most of them have been through some kind of experience where they've been laid bare, as it were. 
um, either through uh, a bereavement, through a relationship uh, crisis or a health crisis. Uh, and it's sad, but that's the, the way it seems to be for so many people, that uh, either the, the, the body gets to a point where it kind of just says, like, enough. <laughs> uh, and it forces uh, either some degree of awakening or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, then you you can only foresee potentially, a, you know, a, 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 and you see people like this recurring um, <coughs> spiral uh, into ill health. But the, the, the point about um, children and, and the conditioning, uh, again, I look back, you know, we all as fathers do our best, you know, to be a good father. We've got a, a grandson now who's coming up five and I've watched him grow up with much greater degree of appreciation and understanding about how best to interact with him. It's not that I was horrible to my own children, but I've got a much better insight now and it makes you kind of think, well, if I had my time again, I would have done things a little bit differently. Yes, uh, children, they are born into uh, families. Uh, there is so much conditioning that goes on at that young age, which sets the pattern of thought, of perception, um, of those inner values, of the personality. It's all formed in those you know, early years. Um, and again, in my own experience, I can, I won't bore you with the details, but I can identify an event that took place when I was 18 months old. And I've had to kind of call on different people to piece these bits together. But that event at 18 months old sowed the seeds very, very clearly for the event that I would then have um, all those years later. The, a, a, a belief system, a pattern of thought was ingrained in my subconscious at that early age which has been then quietly working away in the background and then came to a head as a, at the age of 53. Um, so uh, as parents, as grandparents, as people who may have a, a responsibility or an influence towards children, yeah we need to be hugely careful and hugely mindful um, as best we are able to ensure that they are being conditioned but conditioned with love um, and uh, uh, to help them uh, as best we are able to to have this kind of understanding um, at an early age it's one of the things I have done with my own children uh, only just today I was uh, emailing my daughter um, uh, a video link um, for a talk on how our thoughts uh, and stress in particular can impact uh, in the physical body. Um, so a bit belated but uh, <laughs> nonetheless hope, you know, hopefully helpful. <coughs> Absolutely. I feel we need to do more across of that. Yeah. Uh, human nature, really. Yeah. I have heard 
um, you know, some schools in some parts of the country are having um, classes on mindfulness and on meditation practices and uh, that kind of thing. But it seems to be very much on a small scale and uh, possibly falling on deaf ears because if you talk to you know your average 13, 14 year olds about the need for mindfulness and all the rest of it, probably rather be kicking a football around or here <laughs> on, on the uh, iPhone or whatever. Um, yeah, but there is a, a desperate need for it, absolutely. Yeah. How, how do you know um, when, because you said something about um, when you truly want to heal, when you're healed, you might think you want to heal, but how do you know if you actually really want to, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. like, so you think that you want to heal, but there could be something subconsciously that's holding you from healing. So for instance, with my leg, I had a motorcycle accident um, two years ago, I don't want to heal and I'm doing all the Yeah, um, I think in instances like that where there's been a an injury, yeah. that is in a in a different uh, ballpark to uh, a disease, right. uh, because you didn't, you know, I, I'm sure you didn't consciously think, uh, you know, having a motorbike accident would be a good thing to do today and breaking my leg. Well, I do think there was an element of that that led up to this event. Okay. Um, it all comes back to know thyself, yeah. uh, and that, that's not a cop-out, uh, but uh, me piecing together my own kind of personal journey, my own kind of healing journey, has taken me probably the best part of 20 years to come to the level of understanding and the awareness of where I am today, and putting all the bits of the jigsaw <coughs> into place. Uh, we don't begin to understand the mind. It's many layers, you know, medical science doesn't, can't tell you what consciousness is. We can describe, you know, the appearance of it and the functions of it, but medical science can't tell you what consciousness is. Um, there may be something at a deeper level that you may be holding on to. Um, but uh, it wouldn't be for, for me or I believe anybody else to say to you what that is. They may be able to talk, you know, talk with you and help for you to kind of realize if there is something there that you're holding on to. But I, my first reaction would be to say in an instance like that, where it's an injury, there is a, a, a natural process, you know, the body's gonna take time to to, to knit bones or whatever it, it needs to do and uh, you know if you're doing all the things that you, you know you say you're doing with your exercise and physio and all that kind of stuff um, that sounds to be that the right kind of approach cool. yeah Got it. I don't know if I've answered the question there but it, I'm not sure if it is an answerable kind of question yeah, other you than did say something 
more a case of knowing yourself um, if you're doing the right thing or not. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and largely, we don't know ourselves. Yeah. We, we, we do. No, we I don't. Know. No, I know. We, we, we do not that's know ourselves. We, we kind of look in the mirror and we think, oh, yeah, that's that's me. But do you really know yourself at a deeper level than that? Mm -hmm. Do you understand uh, what motivates you? Do you understand your fears? Do you understand where they came from? And everything that you know, whether it's about yourself or another person, I'd ask the question, do you really know? Do you really know? Because everything that you believe you know is operating through the faculty of your perception. And your perception is uniquely personal to you. However many people there are in this evening, this evening, you'll all go home and if you had to write down what you saw, what you heard, what you experienced, if there's 20 people in this room, there'd be 20 different versions of what happened. And all of them are right. Because you experience this moment through that set of filters, if you like, which is your personal perspective. And you use that self-same perspective to look at yourself. And let's just say you've got filter X, Y and Z as part of your perception. And let's just say filter Y is giving you a distorted misrepresentation of uh, another person, or more importantly yourself. And you're looking at yourself, you're beholding yourself through this filter of perception that is giving you a distorted impression. So let me ask the question again, do you know yourself? You know the appearance, you know the semblance of you, you have this kind of avatar kind of creation in mind of who you are, who you might appear to be to other people. Um, but, you know, we are many layered beings in our consciousness and uh, there is no, in, in my experience, there is no quick, you know, open the door and discover it. It's, it's like peeling an onion. We have to progressively reveal um, a greater insight and understanding of what and who we are. And that is all part of that that healing journey. As I said, we come into life whole, largely, happy, uh, and in a place of harmony, and it seems that as we go through life, our hold on that degree of harmony can diminish. And we reach a point where it's like crisis, and then it's that journey then to bring ourselves back, hopefully, to a place of um, wholeness and harmony. We've got time for another question, or are we? Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, a couple of online yeah. comments from Jen up in Durham. 
Brilliant talk, David. I so agree with your viewpoint of not accepting to have the illness. She has a similar autoimmune condition, but I do not suffer from it. I have lived in spite of it. The symptoms have been kept under control for several years. It's not denial, it's choice. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Serena in Germany asks, do you think that healing also increases the strength of a healer in their healing work? She is aware that spirit heals, but does the self-awareness make one a better channel? Um, yes, I do. I, I do believe that uh, in exactly the same way there is a law of gravity that nobody has the option to opt out of, um, there is a, a law of giving and receiving. And in the very act of uh, wanting to be of service to another person to help with their healing mm -hmm. you cannot but attract to you um, a corresponding power a force yeah. uh, uh, I was once told when I first started my healing journey healers want to heal because at some level they recognize they need to be healed themselves yeah. uh, and certainly in, in my experience that was was very true so I, I wholly agree that in the act of healing that there is a, a restorative power that is uh, brought to bear on the uh, healer and anything that the healer themselves can do to uh, better understand um, the mechanism of who they are, the agency of that spirit power, how to best utilize and to work in harmony with that can only lead to a greater manifestation of that power in terms of um, healing outcome. Yeah. But as I said before, you know, we could be the best channel for spirit, but the patient themselves must want to be healed. <laughs> There's got to be yeah. an alignment with that power and that force, and the, the patient truly, fully, honestly wanting to be healed. Otherwise, what is it mm. you know it's it can be a social kind of interaction it can be comforting but if they're not wanting to be healed no amount of healing I don't believe can overcome their own kind of free choice I know there's people asking questions about that in their head this is an unconscious thing isn't it this is we talk about sometimes working with our shadow self and that's dealing with bits of us I don't want to admit to but I don't really want to say is me but they are you know and it's normally down to things like lack of self-worth lack of self-love uh, guilt or things like that and it's when yeah. we start working with those energies and starting to clear those energies then actually you can see why we're denying ourselves good health not consciously no I'm not saying anybody sits here going, I want to be ill because when I'm ill I get lots of fuss and I'm just a miserable old bugger anyway, so I'm <laughs> quite happy being ill. If we don't actually believe ourselves that we deserve to be well, that we are whole and good and we try our best, I'm not saying we're all saints, but we try our best, it's getting down to that level, isn't it? Absolutely. People? Yeah. It's, it's interesting what you're saying about feeding an illness because I have, I don't want to be, you know, I 
singing musicians. Yeah. Um, and I've tried to educate myself about it. But in educating myself about it and finding out that, for example, gluten does not suit my body, how far should I stick by diabetes? And most of the immune system's in your gut, so you've got to look after your gut. I then find that certain gluten things can cross-contaminate with calcium, for example, so I've started reading up about that. And I'm almost making myself worse because I'm over-educating myself. Yeah. Mm. And, it, and it becomes almost, you become paranoid about, well, if I take that, that's going to happen, and if I don't do that, something else is going to happen. Instead of just being, just, get, just ignore it, really. It's yeah. not ignorance. It's just that it's not adding anything to my life. No. Uh, and it's that, you know, what I call identifying. And I understand that, that kind of need to want to understand and to read about it. But in the act of doing that, we're then admitting all this stuff into our mind, uh, which can then uh, wreak havoc. I know what I'm saying will go against what, uh, you know, if you go to your GP, that they will tell you, no, this is a good thing to do, uh, and what have you. And I acknowledge, as I said, that what I've spoken about has been very much my personal experience, and I don't offer it as a general prescription. Uh, but to my way of thinking, if we uh, identify too strongly with something that, well, whatever it is, we are admitting that it becomes part of our operating thoughts, part of that program that is running in the mind. Uh, and if it's not helpful, if it's not serving us, then it's got no place being in the mind. That's it becomes a, it becomes a obsessive in the way that you've pitched it tonight with somebody else. I, Anita, that listening to your talk tonight has been also obsessive about yourself. Yeah. And it's negative. Yeah. I'm only stood, I'm not trying to rush you yeah. off, but just suddenly I can stand up. Don't <laughs> panic. <laughs> <laughs> Was there another question? Yeah, please. Thanks, I really enjoyed listening to you. Sam. Thank you. Uh, and when you talked about people being invested in their eats and attached to it, and having to take responsibility that they can to, to change the way, I'm wondering when people don't do that, and they stay invested in it, what point does it get to that we have to say, Yeah, um, first and foremost, we, we've got to recognise, of course, that people who come in are vulnerable in some degree, shape or form, um, that they may have tried all other avenues of help and support um, and quite possibly may have been failed, as it were, in their eyes by those uh, other avenues. Um, so we as a healer have a responsibility not to, let, not to add to that uh, and I wouldn't ever you know dream of saying to a patient well it's all your fault because you know you've been holding this pattern of thought and you need to kind of change that pattern and don't bother coming to see me until you do you know that's painting the extreme but I wouldn't ever uh, kind of um, be as blunt but what I would be wanting to do uh, in the course of discussion with the person is 
to plant seeds, is to give encouragement, is to kind of share insights, to hopefully help them of their own accord come to that realisation that how they are at that time is possibly not helping themselves. But I you know, feel that is very much a responsibility of a responsible healer. It's, it's, I don't feel we should just you know, plug in as it were and just blindly hand over. We've got a, we're a human being, you know, we're a spirit, we have our own power, we have our own intelligence, we have the power of the spirit working through us. Um, we should be using all of that potential to endeavour to help and support that person to that place of understanding where they make that decision for themselves. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> Sometimes you do feel like that, you know, like clip round the ear, come on, get a grip. <laughs> would, would you ever get to a state with a, uh, if you're doing regular healing with somebody, would you ever get to a state where you just think, well, do you know what, I've gone as far as I can? Or is that just bringing it down to the knee without involving the spirit world? I'm just thinking about that as I'm saying it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, if someone was, was continually coming in, continually clearly not helping themselves, and I have had experience of that uh, in the past, I would still endeavour to offer uh, myself as that channel for healing. Um, and you know, if I had exhausted all means of trying to plant seeds and to try and mm. cultivate a change, uh, again, it, it, it comes down to personal responsibility. If, if that person, for whatever reason, is either choosing to stay as they are or, or just don't have the capacity to be able to come into that realisation, my responsibility as a healer is to continue to offer that okay. service and that support. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. As I said, you may part of you want to kind of stand back from that and say look you know yeah. <laughs> end of the line but I, I don't know if I could <laughs> how, how, how long your patience is sometimes there's <laughs> a wee bit on the short side yeah yeah <laughs> was there another question yeah so have you come across the um, uh, where people are afraid to be well and the best they can be does that make sense to you where they're yeah. almost afraid to be well and that Um, I have, yes, uh, not in many instances, but I certainly uh, have experienced that. And as I said, people can become invested in their illness, in their lack of well-being, because at some level it's meeting an, an inner need. Um, and that inner need may be that um, the illness is providing um, a level of comfort, a level of interaction, a level of sympathy, a level of care, a level of love that would otherwise be absent. And as I said, we're, we're creatures of habit and we fall into patterns and ways of being, not through choice largely, but unconsciously. Yeah, uh, and uh, also 
again, I experienced you know this personally. There were times in my healing journey where um, it can seem like doom and gloom. You know that the light at the end of the tunnel seems like a long way off. Train coming at you. Yeah, and, yeah, <laughs> and it could almost be as easy just to kind of give in to that and just put my feet up and say, well, you know, this is what it is. This is what it is. Uh, you know, we're all different. Um, I think it's like the example I've just spoken about there. We can only do what we can do to try and help that person realize the opportunity that they have and encourage them towards that. But uh, if they're not wanting to or not able to for some reason, at the end of the day, it is their life. And you know, it comes down again to personal responsibility, personal choice. But some people I, I feel can become so lost that they have lost that sight, as it were, of the potential, the opportunity to be well. And they need love, they need support, they need care, you know, not, not abandoning them uh, at all. Uh, but I'm not suggesting that's easy. Brilliant. Very quickly, Leslie Thomas sends her regards. Oh, lovely. Thank you, Leslie. <laughs> well, okay. David. No, no, no. You know what? Again, bringing back in what I was saying at the opening of the evening. In spiritualism, we've got some wonderful mediums, we've got some other mediums, and we've got some other mediums. We've got very few teachers. Thank you. And thank you for tonight. That was perfectly understandable. I love your angle with me coming now. Especially when you're picking up the book about the camera, I'm going, right. <laughs> okay, where are we going with this then? Brilliant. Very thought-provoking. A bit like what you said, one sentence, and it was a bit like a private sitting for me. Okay. So thank you. Right. <laughs> I went, I'll be okay. thinking about that on the way home. Yeah, I'm, I'm all right, I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant evening. Thank you Great so much. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for coming along. Thank you for those uh, joining us online. Uh, where are we? Our next... Oh, next Wednesday, we have a demonstration of mediumship with Carla Haynes. So the first Wednesday of the month is Awareness, second Wednesday is a Dem, third is Open Circle, fourth is Spiritual Cafe. So, David, thank you. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank, thank you. you.